I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of Passports and Poets, conversations about the power of place, the places that change us, and why it matters. I'm Dr. Chick Morgan, the Cowgirl PhD, and I'm here, of course, with my co-host, Rodney Bursile, the... Photographer-in-Chief. Yes, you are, and also gallery owner of Rodney Bursile at Base Camp Gallery here in beautiful Wimberley, Texas. But today, Rodney is not here with me in our studio in beautiful Wimberley, Texas, but calling from, tell us where you are, Rodney, and then um, we'll get into why you're there and who's with you. But where are you calling from? We are in Kenya. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a new thing for us. We've, we've done some remote calls, but you and I have always been in the studio together. <laughs> On the same and, side of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. this is, this is going to be interesting. This is um, exciting. Yeah, we've talked about doing these, and here we finally are, because we, we can are. travel. Yeah, so... At least for the moment. <laughs> so where are you in Kenya? I, I, I'm going to let James pronounce it, because I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, and he'll laugh at me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, yeah, James. Um, we... Hi, Chief. Nice to meet you. You too. Yeah, we are right on the equator uh, at a conservancy called Olpegeta Conservancy. Um, it, it's on the leeward side of Mount Kenya. Mount Kenya is the second tallest mountain in Africa. So we're just on the slopes of Mount Kenya, I would say. Well, second tallest too. Yeah. I'm glad he let Kill you them. pronounce that. I think that was a wise call. <laughs> We've already been our time about how we pronounce things the whole day. So. Yeah. <laughs> by the time you learn, you'll be gone, right? Um, so you're there with some traveling companions. Why don't you introduce who's um, in your entourage? Well, it's, of course, Rick and Allison. Rick was my travel partner the last time we came here when we did Kenya and Tanzania and Ethiopia. And, and I'm he was sure on our no one who heard those two episodes with the two of you <laughs> describing your experiences will forget Rick. <laughs> so why are you all in Kenya and particularly at this conservancy right now? What, what's happening there? Well, last time we came, um, you know, we did Amboseli, which was primarily elephants and um where all else do we go? I've already, it's, I've already forgotten, but, um, well, yeah, we did the whole Serengeti, you know, going through Tanzania. And one of the main things that we did not get to experience were the rhinos. And actually it was through, um, one of our, uh, ho or one of our guests a while back was Turk Pipkin, who mm, yeah. been here, uh, about 27 times mm. now. He's the one that told me about, about this conservancy, and then I've got a, a Instagram friend that told me about James, and I, I had messaged him. I was because I was wanting to come here because this is a spot primarily for the rhinos, and there are the 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 last two remaining northern white rhinos on the planet live here. And if you remember Sudan, who was the, and the two that are alive are were females or are females. And the the last male that passed away in 2018. Is that right? Yeah. yeah James was his caretaker. Mm. And when I called Pablo and asked him who he would recommend or if he had any recommendations, 
he told me about James, but didn't tell me his backstory. Hmm. And it wasn't a, we talked on the phone that I found out that James was the one that, you know, he's, it's, you, you've seen pictures of him. Yes, um, yes. He was there when Sudan, you know, passed on. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I was, I was shocked and surprised and can't believe that, you know, he has been my, yeah. my personal guy. What a stunning surprise and, and good fortune. Yeah. Yeah. So not only am I getting to see the, the rhinos, I'm getting up close personal experiences and up close story, personal mm. stories, mm. which, which you're going to hear. Yeah. So. Well, James, we'd, we'd love to hear I and our listeners and maybe we could start with the, um, uh, the luminous Sudan and and his story and your involvement with him. Can you tell us a little bit about his history? I'd like to start with uh, some of you know. I guess some of the things we haven't gotten to yet is I'd like to uh, start with you know how you got started. You know, being a ranger and you know how you got tied in with you know mm-hmm. with Sudan. I mean, um, the dream of being a ranger was born so many years ago when I was um, seven years, I would say, because of the human-wildlife conflict we had with elephants in our village. So I wanted to be a ranger because I loved how they came and uh, pushed away elephants back to the forest. Fast forward now, I wasn't able to kind of go to school, study conservation like I wanted, but somehow I pushed my dream to kind of be a ranger. So that's when I landed the opportunity to come and work in Opejeta, um somewhere in 2012 and started off as a general cleaner, worked hard, I got a ranger, the post that was being announced by the conservancy, mm-hmm. I applied, I got the job of being a ranger, worked for two and a half years, and then I was transferred to go and work with the Northern White Rhinos, where I was working before. Uh, I went, you know, I decided to go to move out and to do what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. When you started with the rhinos, how many were there? There were around um, six northern oh. white rhinos. Really? Mm-hmm. When I when I work with um, with the northern white rhinos, um, I think um, the four were here, and the two were uh, one was in Czech Republic, and the other one was Angalifu that was in the San Diego Zoo. Mm-hmm. So this is. 20. These are the two that are still here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of them, part of the four, the two females are the ones that are still here. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the two males passed. Sunni passed in 2014. Uh, was the the dad last male? Uh, he died of a natural cause. It's a coincidence that I'm I'm the one who found him that particular morning. Mm-hmm. I was doing my routine checkup. Mm-hmm. Um, I found him sleeping in an abnormal posture. Mm-hmm. I approached him. And pretty much, it it passed. Is this uh, the one you were telling me about? That where uh, at the the tree where the the graveyard is, or is that yeah? Sunni yeah. is just uh, at the graveyard. Um, the plague of Sudan mm-hmm. is next to Sunni. Yeah. yeah, because they were both northern white Chinas. Yeah, and Sudan. The, you say the the other one died of natural causes, and um, what did Sudan die from? Yes, Sudan was a bit aged in terms of, uh, you know, rhino aging. He was 45 when he passed. So he died of old age-related complications. Mm. Um, he got infection on his right end leg. Uh, and because of old age, he would sleep on one side more 
over the other. Mm -hmm. And so kind of uh, there was so much pressure on on the infection where there was Mm -hmm. an infection. So the infection grew worse and worse. The the vets tried all they could to treat the the, the infection, but it worsened over time to a point where Mm -hmm. he was immobile for over 25 hours. He could hardly eat, drink, or even move. Mm Bearing in mind that he is like a three-toned animal, mm-hmm. we couldn't really like, you know, move him from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So we all had to come to the tough call and decision to euthanize him and ease him of, of the pain. So, you know, it was decided that the best option was to to euthanize him because mm-hmm. there was no prospect that yeah. um, the infection would get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, it's still sad, but very, uh, the very humane thing to do, so... Yeah. Why has the um, the northern white rhino population just decreased so dramatically that there are only these few females, these two females left? Um, we can attribute it to a number of factors. I mean, habitat loss is, is one, uh, but the key contributing factor is uh, poaching mm. for their horn. Uh, as we all know, the rhino horn is prized on, on the far in the Middle East for various reasons that people use it for that has driven so much demand. Mm. This goes uh, back in back in the years, in 1960s, 70s, there was massive wave of poaching that happened all across Africa that wiped so much elephants and so many rhinos. Um, I think in Kenya, we lost from 20,000 black rhinos in, in 1970 to only 400 black rhinos mm. by 1990, mm. all really? due to poaching. And, and then the mm. fact of land fragmentation because people are kind of getting independence and taking lands and all of that. Uh, but in other countries like um, South Sudan and DRC Congo, which is... Uh, the original habitats of the northern white rhinos. Um, there was these civil wars and political conflicts that have persisted over years. So um, when, when the tensions in these countries rose and there was like rebel groups going to hide in the bushes, um, they took advantage of that and killed so many rhinos. Mm. And so the northern white rhinos suffered so much because the native homelands, um, if you think about them today, they still have got the political conflicts. So there was no political goodwill. There was no uh, motives to even protect the remaining rhinos because to some others, especially those that were hiding in the bushes, it was um, the killing of rhinos, get their horns, sell their horns, and continue buying arms to continue Mm. fighting. Mm. So this made the populations of the northern white rhinos to decline significantly. So they were using the rhino horns to fund the fighting? Yes, yes, yeah. Wow. It was because the rhino horn is, you know, the value of the horn is so high. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was just a way of like funding their their, their practices and, and, and their fights. Mm-hmm. So, the populations of the northern rhinos significantly declined. And there was no one who was willing to even go and give a hand at some point because then it was risky for, yeah. for anyone to go and try and do something, even in these countries. So, the, the, the rhinos declined. Until to the point now when um, Azul decided to kind of come in, take a few rhinos when they realized that, well, we are going to lose these rhinos. So let's try and do something. Mm. And that's the fate now where they ended up being in the zoo, either in the San, in the San Diego Zoo, in the Czech Republic Zoo. All they were trying to do was to have the remnants of the Northern Russians, uh try to breed them, quotes in quotes, maybe when the conditions are right, mm. 
the rhinos can be taken back again to Africa. Mm. And and fast forward, that's what happened now that we had Sudan and the four, mm. the three other rhinos into a vegetal conservancy. So so every every rhino in the wild mm-hmm. was killed. In in, in in these in in these countries? Yes. Yes. Well because Najin and Fatu are the the last two remaining were both in in zoos. In the zoos, yeah. yeah. And they were born by some of the rhinos that were captured in the wild and taken to the zoo in Czech Republic. So their parents were originally from the wild, mm-hmm. then they were taken through the breeding program. They 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 sired Najin, Fatu, Sunni, and and the other male that died. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the program was pretty much doing well, but unfortunately, they realized the breeding was so minimal compared to the expectation they had of increasing the rhino populations and then reintroducing them back. So again they yeah they just they weren't wanting to yeah. they had no interest being in captivity. <clears throat> they they didn't want to reproduce yeah for some reasons because to be honest it was not their home so for some mm-hmm. reason they didn't go well hmm. and so now with the you know like with sudan and the other males they i mean i, I guess explain that process on how they're tr- still they're trying to bring these back still with only the females the two females that are left uh, what am i trying to say so, or well, the with the two females that are alive now, mm-hmm. they even when you brought them here mm-hmm. out of uh, you know out of the zoos, they still w- didn't want to breed. Or what was? Well, they they tried to when they came. Um, you know, the, the original idea of taking them from the zoo was to see um, the conditions were becoming better. We had places like Copetita that existed that were doing so well in protecting them. So the idea is like, why don't we take them from the zoo, bring them back here and see whether the aspect of being in the African ground, which was their home, would essentially stimulate their sexual activities, leading to mating and subsequently having young ones. So when they came in 2009, December, they did so well. They, they were put here. Their climate is so quickly. In the zoo, you know, they were being fed with grass. Here, they kind of started grazing. They became natural. They would go wallow in the mud. They did all these natural behaviors. And they also started mating. And, and, and we took samples for analysis. And unfortunately, there was no pregnancy that was, that was confirmed. So they, they tried to mate, but unfortunately, for some reasons, none of them didn't conceive. Until uh, later testing in 2014 also, you know, um, saw that the two females could not naturally carry a pregnancy. Uh, Fatu, the youngest one, has a problem with the uterus, the, you know, a, a condition that has to be fixed for her to kind of carry a pregnancy. And Najin, the elder one, is a bit advanced in age. She's 30 years, which is a bit hard, mm-hmm. and she also problems with the end legs that cutting a pregnancy to term would be a hard job for her. Mm. What is the gestation period for a rhino? How long does it take for a pregnancy to, to come to term? Um, they slightly vary, very slightly, uh, both black and white rhinos, because in Africa we have the two, the black and the white rhinos. Uh, blacks will take around 15, 15 and a half months, mm. white will go up in months. Hmm. Wow. And the, and the black and white rhinos are both gray. So <laughs> if that if that helps. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I don't quite know what to make of that. <laughs> huh, how do you tell them apart? 
<laughs> well, I'll, I'll let Dave tell that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when, if you were to come, if I was to tell you you're coming to Africa tomorrow, are you expecting to see a very white rhino and a black one? Mm-hmm. Jake? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, if, yeah, if, 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 yeah, if you, if, if you said, yeah, if you knew that there was a black rhino and a white rhino, you know, there, there actually isn't a black rhino and a white rhino. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe, maybe to bring it to perspective, because we are here, we have seen a lot today. So um, the white rhino is not white. The name white comes from a mispronounced word from the African language, which they were meaning a wide rhino. So they were, hmm. they were referring hmm. a wide lipped rhino because white rhinos have square lips that are so wide so their pronunciation for wide was like weight and so weight and white are kind of homonyms so the when when we were when when the, Af- the africans mis, mis, mis thought that they were talking about white color and so the, the white rhino got the name to be white uh by default then the black rhino was called a black rhino because then this other rhino was called white rhino and that's how the name white and black rhino came to be uh however the major differences is the mouth the the black rhinos um have a pointed lip we call it a prehensile lip and they are browsers in nature they eat leaves and twigs at the top and rarely will graze on grass uh white rhinos have a square lip and in they are grazers by nature so they eat lots of grass um and then there are other aspects like the backs of the, of the blacks have a, have a concave shape at the back the white rhinos have a convex shape at the back white rhinos are large they're so big in size the black rhinos are smaller uh the the black rhinos have got smaller heads and longer necks white rhinos have got massive heads and short necks mm. so um and and few other social differences I, I can't wait to see your photos, Rodney. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's going yeah, to be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's been interesting to learn to learn the difference and to see because when you when you see them to, side by side, the what he's explaining. I mean, they're you know a lot of you know how a lot of animals when you see them, mm-hmm. the description of them, you go, oh, I kind of see that. But when with the rhinos. It's plain as day. Uh, you know, now it's, you know, I can spot, I can spot a black or a white from a mile away uh, one, which is, uh, which is which. So. so James, it sounds, what you're saying is that the future of this species uh, is dependent on an aging female who would have mm-hmm. problems with pregnancy and a younger one, but who needs some surgery and, and correction in order to be able to to carry an infant. How many years do you think you have to have some successful pregnancies? I think, um, you know, the all predator team, together with the scientists working on, um, on saving the Northern White Rhinos to come to a discussion and, and roll out. And they realized that um, potentially they could not fix the problem that far to us. Mm. Uh, because she's the potential candidate of carrying a pregnancy as a pure northern white rhino. Yeah. Uh, it would be expensive and so demanding to have a single rhino get in the race of saving an entire subspecies mm. of, of a rhino that is going to extinction. Yeah. So weighing the facts, they, they kind of had to fully shift into artificial reproductive techniques. And for the very first time, scientists are working on 
IVF in rhinos, where they, they roll up, they would rather, you know, take eggs from the two females, collect as many eggs as possible, and use the semen mm-hmm. that they already collected and frozen mm-hmm. of around between females and inseminate it with the with their to the eggs and, and create embryos. Yeah. And then these mature viable embryos will then be transferred into um, a southern white mm-hmm. rhino, mm-hmm. which will come as a surrogate mother. Yeah. And just maybe to to clarify that is that we have two subspecies of white rhinos. We have the northern white rhinos and we have the southern white rhinos. And so pretty much the gestation period, the estrus cycles are, are them. And that is why the scientists, you know, pretty much sure that the, the surrogate moms will carry mm-hmm. the pregnancy on the other machinos and potentially in the near future, yeah. we shall have some, some baby northern white rhinos. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so far they have perfected the scale of ovum pickup. They have collected uh, eggs, I think, five or six times now. Uh, they have now created 12 viable embryos that are waiting to be now transferred into the surrogate mothers. Yeah. And they have also identified surrogate mothers that are that have good breeding abilities, mm-hmm. good mothering abilities, and they have been put aside. Two of them have been put together with a tisa bull. And, and the tisa bull, uh, um, you know, will kind of show the signs when the females get on it because it's easy to use a male than taking samples and going through the analysis way. So they are put a sterile male. They had to sterile, sterilize the male so that it doesn't impregnate on the females. And then uh, put together with the two surrogate moms, when they get on it, you attempt to mount on them. And when it tries to mount on them, then it will, the scientists will know this is the right time to put the embryos into the surrogate moms, and then they will uh, propagate the embryo transfer. So a lot of science is involved in getting this just right, aren't we? Yeah. Aren't we lucky we have such good scientists working on this? So, yeah, what's the, is there a time frame on when they're going to try and start? Doing this, like I said, they, there's 12 embryos that are ready to go, right? Yeah, there's and 12 embryos. So, what, yeah. what are they? Are they still, is there still something that they're studying to m- make sure that this is done properly? Or, yeah, I mean, they, they're running, you know, they're running, you know, uh, tests with the southern white channels that have, have better populations to kind of perfect the scales of, of doing the embryo transfer. Uh, so, there's no actual definite timeline, I would say. Um, uh, as far as I know, um, they just introduced the females into the male it's for who is going to be the teasable. So they just wait and see um, when you get, you know, they get on it and when they can facilitate. And then you realize there's a lot of logistics that are required mm. to facilitate as well because mm. the scientists that are working on this are not based in, only in Kenya. We have some from mm. Italy, we have some mm. from Germany. Mm. Um, and they all have to kind of agree, and with the travel ban and whatever is happening mm. there, yeah. and now um, everything is pretty much messed up. Without also thinking about the costs of what it takes to uh, kind of facilitate all of this. So some points sometimes it's relayed because of one issue or the other. So it's a whole long complex story yeah. to to add, get to, to that point. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, we're glad you're working with them on this, James. <laughs> it's good, good for them to have a friend here. Um, yeah. I just have one question, uh, and then Rodney, I'd like to start talking about your day, <laughs> what it's been like yeah. the last couple of days. Um, but you mentioned that the two females were in the Czech Zoo. Was that a general sense of cooperation, um, that this is what they wanted to have happen as well? Were they grateful to be working with the Conservancy? Because that's an interesting relationship right there. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they still continue working with the Conservancy. Uh, good to quote that uh, it was out of the goodwill of the zoo that mm -hmm. they, they realized the plight of the northern white rhinos back then what they were suffering and they decided yeah. to step in uh, of course they had resources and the and, and and the way to get the rhinos here and take them all the way to the zoo as a way of trying to save the, mm -hmm. the, the rhinos and that uh sometimes we need to shift how we even see zoos because this was what if not for it then the northern white rhinos will not be there we wouldn't be talking about them now so they were right. trying to kind of they foresaw the future of the northern white rhinos not being so bleak and they decided to take a few take them to the zoo but uh later on they realized that conditions especially in countries like kenya conservation was doing well uh the rhinos were becoming safer so there was the need of taking the rhinos back to their home where they belonged because all what they were trying to do was to give them a home before things got better so yeah you you were asking about you know our our day yeah i'm wondering what and, your, your reaction has been ronnie <laughs> Uh, it's just it's been it's been crazy. I mean, like I said, you know, meeting meeting James and experiencing all this, and because I I just recently learned of you know the these the, these last two surviving, you know, rhinos mm -hmm. and to be here with James and to meet them with him and then to be driving around and i mean how many how many other rhinos did we see today that i mean we've seen at least 20 25 other you know that are out you know living in the wild and you know several babies mm -hmm. and and then uh you know this afternoon because you know a big part of you know jane i i guess that's I'd, I'd like i'd like for james to give just give him a a platform just one more place for him to just kind of go wherever he wants to go with this tonight because he he is one of the most amazing i mean anybody can say that they're you know in conservation and working in conservation and doing you know doing their part but james is is living this he's literally given his entire life to you know not just saving rhinos but saving the planet you know what mm. what he has done you know, just, I mean, walking out in the bush and risking his life, not only with poachers, but with, you know, elephants and lions and wild dogs. I mean, the, the stories he's told me on that, we, we could go for hours with, with what he's done and what he's doing. So I don't know if that gives you a launching point on where, <laughs> if there's something else that, you know, that you want to say as, We've 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 spent so much time. I wish I'd just been recording us, you know, driving around in the Jeep all day long. <laughs> Cause this, yeah, he's just he's just doing some amazing, amazing things to, you know, do his part to make this you know a better planet. Yeah, I think um maybe alluding to that, uh, Rodney is um first of all I have to say now I'm not directly working with the rhinos now. Um uh, kind of 
what you know moved out and now doing kind of awareness and and, and educational safaris and stuff like that um but that's just as important so yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. It, it's it's good to mention that so um but but i think alluding to that i would say um when you said you just realized that the uh, the last northern white rhinos i think brings the conversation that we all should be having because um, the current state of affairs on our planet is because majority of us do not know mm-hmm. what happens next door. Yeah. Like we are not conversant about the environment and the planet that we so call home that gives our food, that gives us clean hair, that gives us water, that gives us even the resources that we so work hard to get every mm. single day. And I mean, I think this state of living in oblivion is what is choking the planet. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's just so sad if you treat a long life without realizing that you're just taking it away from it so much. Mm-hmm. Like you get food, you wear, you go to work, you drive your car, you get the fuel. You never ask yourself a single day, how does this come about? How does the food on my plate come about? How does the clothes that I wear come about? Yeah. And I think when we start asking ourselves the questions, then we will start educating ourselves. Because the journey of trying to work on anything is understanding it. Mm-hmm. Kind of, um, if we have to know that we are needed to save the planet, then we need to know how it supports us every single day. Yeah. And I think... This is much the problem that is affecting uh, the planet because we shift this responsibility now to people like me when I was a ranger. Let me talk about myself. People thought of us being heroes, you know, living in the bush, risking our lives, protecting these animals. Um, but I have a different feeling. I have a feeling that we are doing our part. I, I was doing my part when I was doing that. I didn't do it for you know for someone to say like James you're doing an amazing job but imagine if everyone held that themselves accountable to the planet for what it does for them mm-hmm. think of the planet being your mother that gives you everything you need and then you held yourself accountable for thinking about your mother I mean you can't go a few days without thinking about your mom the person who you know helped you and when I say this, I know we have sometimes we have different relations with our mothers also, okay. but it's it's that time we start kind of understanding. You just wake up in your room, open your window, and look at your immediate environment. Maybe the tree that used to live in your backyard is not is dying. It's suffering because of what is happening. Maybe the bees that were coming to get some flowers on your backyard no longer come. And the bees give you 60-70% of what you have on the plate every single day. Maybe even making a simple sugar solution, mixing a water and some sugar and putting it outside your house to encourage the bees. Maybe the bugs that we run away from are the same ones that, in a way that we don't understand because we don't want to learn about them, we run away from them, but they are very crucial for our existence as humans. So this disconnection is essentially what is the problem that is affecting our planet. And mm-hmm. I think the moment we start asking ourselves a, that question, what can I do and where is my place in, 
being part of the solution to the planning, then we are able to see it. So as you said about you know, not knowing and how many people doesn't know that the Northern White Chinos, uh, we have the last two of them. I mean, they are so charismatic. You've met them today. Yeah, and it's, and it's I, I, I think the, you know, the general public because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very aware of what's going on with, you know, with the way, you know, animal populations and, you know, the endangered species and, you know, what, what is critical and what's not. And that's part of what we talked about too, was, you know, these, these animals that, I forget which, what, which one we were talking about today, but it's, it may have been the high, or it was the hyenas. Yeah. You said they're not protected because they're not endangered. Yeah. But you were saying, it's like, you know, why do they have to be endangered for us to protect them? Yeah. And, but it's, uh, you know, to back up on that is, yeah, like the, you know, the rhinos, I think most people, when they think of a rhino, they don't think of all the species. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, you know, you hear there's, well, there's 2,000 of these and 4,000 of these. And, you know, so they just like a rhino's a rhino. Mm -hmm. But then when, when you hear these stories that there are only two northern white rhinos left, I go, mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? It's mm -hmm. like, this is a, you know, a species. Mm -hmm. There's only two of them left on this planet. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I just, I post, I posted a picture of Baraka mm -hmm. and I, I made the comment. I said, we're going to see, you know, Najin and Fatu today, the last two remaining Northern white rhinos and several people commented, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, didn't realize, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I thought there were plenty of those left. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's education. It's like, you yeah. know, you say you're not being, you know, you're not a ranger anymore. Yeah. But you're leading these trips, and you're you are now the one that's educating mm -hmm. these people. Before you were personally protecting them. Yeah. Now yeah. you're bringing awareness yeah. to people, so they will want to yeah do more and help protect them. And, and I think maybe it's good to mention that when we talk about rhinos here, maybe you are talking about the big picture. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in 2018, I think the United Nations declared that one million more plant and animal species are threatened with extinction. Mm -hmm. I mean, we lay so much emphasis in rhinos because of their charisma and, you know, how prehistoric they look and the elephants and other, you know, key animals that are mm -hmm. of concern. But uh, what we are talking essentially is um, the essence of people being aware about the environment. Because I think for anyone listening today, they come from different parts of the world and different parts of the world have unique challenges that they are facing. The species have unique challenges they are facing. I mean, we have, I don't know, is it the red wolf in the States that I, I realized was endangered as well? I mean, there's a lot of other species, the mm -hmm. whales, the sharks, the, the plants, and, and so many other aspects. And I think the essence is to kind of educate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because the moment we start understanding how one thing connects to the other, then we learn the process, how it takes for the planet to even cater for us and cater for other species, then we are able to see where we fit in this circle. Mm -hmm. And I have thought about this as being a human body. You know, think of it as a human body, where the body has different organs to execute different functions. Mm -hmm. And if, if one organ fails, then the whole body might collapse or might be in pain for some mm -hmm. reason. So 
that's how I see the role of protecting the, the you know, the, our planet. It's, it's, you, we cannot shift this responsibility to a few people mm-hmm. who call yeah. themselves conservationists. Yeah. We, we can't. Otherwise, this world is going to collapse in their hands. We just have to see where we fit in this body. And then we realize some, some of our actions might not be seen. Think about the intestines or the, 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 the parts of the body that are inside. People don't see them. But they are working mm-hmm. so hard, digesting food, um, you know, the blood, the veins, taking the, the blood where it's needed. And they are mm-hmm. not seen. So it begins with realizing the small things matter. Yeah, It's the small decisions. It's the small uh, understanding. It's just learning a little bit about your environment and helping you understand how well you can protect and or even improve it. And then when we get to that point, then the whole body will function because you are doing my part, I am doing my part, someone else is doing their part. And equally, someone sitting in an office should feel equally needed to protect the planet as it is with someone who lives in the bush, like I used to do, or like the rangers you have seen all today. Mm-hmm. And the same person who got a degree and calls themselves a conservationist, a lawyer seated in the office should equally feel the same. What do you think it's going to take for that level of awareness to uh, get down to that level of consciousness? And I like that image of the lawyer in the office or anybody, fill in the blank, in the office. I'm sure when they're out there with you and actually seeing it with their own eyes, it has a huge impact. But how do, how do you begin to expand that awareness that, so that it becomes a reality to a, a much greater part of our population. That's a brilliant question, Chick, because I think that's where we are at at this moment. I think we are having these global conversations now about our planet, about our climate, and about how better we can do. But I think one of the best ways we can achieve this is just by raising awareness and educating people, because that is the problem affecting our planet is not to do with the planet. It is. It has a lot to do with people. And it is about the time now we take this message. It is the time we accept to have these conversations. Whoever we are on this, on this planet or whatever you do in life, we need to have this as a global conversation. Take these conversations on the coffee tables. Take these conversations on the our family meetings, this, take this conversation on our dinner tables, take these conversations to the podcast, to the radios, to the TVs. Mm-hmm. Let's have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Because the moment we have these conversations, then people understand where the problem is. And once we understand where the problem is, then we all go towards solving the problem. Because I can live in the bush like I lived for almost 10 years, but you can't. But you can use a platform like this to raise mm-hmm. awareness. Mm-hmm. Someone else can mm-hmm. do a graphic, someone a photo. Someone else can be a lawyer and wear a suit and go and 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 um and and you know take through the legal process the people that are harming the planet with chemicals and uh, someone is a teacher. He can go to the classroom and tell the the the, the, the children that our planet is suffering. This is what we can do better. Mm-hmm. So Someone is, is a driver, they even can have a sticker saying let's protect. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things we can we can do. And it is just about having these conversations and trickling this conversation to us the contemporary, especially the hard generation, and then relaying it to our young people. And the truth is that 
young people are waking up. They're realizing mm, yeah. the planet is not heading in the right direction. So if we are able to join the young and have these conversations, then we are hopeful that our planet is, is as a future. I so I so agree with that, James, and bringing the conversation down to the individual level, the family level, the the schoolroom level, so that they're not seen as here's our special class on conservation or here's our special class on the environment and client, but it's that it's integrated into every conversation in a way that's natural so that mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it's a thing. It's a way of how we live and a way of how we want to live. Yeah, and it's it's how we present it too. That was the other conversation we had today was we were talking about, you know, um, how divided everybody is right now and you've got the extremes on both ends you know you've got the people that are wanting to conserve and protect the planet but they're so extreme that you know they're yelling at you know the people that aren't and so they're not responding to that but then you got you know people like james or you know jane goodall who is they're extending their hand to the enemy and having civil conversations and helping them to see, you know, what what damage is being done. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's that's all it boils down to is and, and, that, and that's part of what, you know, I guess what I'm trying to do. It's like what James says, everybody can do their part. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that that's what my photography is doing, because mm -hmm. not everybody can get on a plane and fly to Africa and come right. see and be personally impacted by being face to face with these rhinos. But I'm hoping I can take the photographs, you know, to get out for people to see and have, you know, have the you know, have the same impact. Mm -hmm. And because, and, and, you know, I've I, you know. My my reach is small compared to to most, but I you know I have had people that have reached out to me that you know had no idea mm -hmm. of you know even you know when I started this it was you know it was with sharks mm -hmm. and talking about you know the just you know what is it a hundred million sharks are being mm -hmm. killed a year mm -hmm. and everybody's just living in fear of these things and they don't realize how important they are and what what they mean to, you know, to our oceans, you know, we lose our ocean or lose our sharks, we lose our oceans, you know, and then, um, you know, and it's just, it's that trickle down and it just, and it's the end. So, yeah, it's just, it's getting out there and, you know, being aware and, you know, getting, getting the word out. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think maybe in plenty of say Rodney is, I think, um, I think we need to have LB conversations without judging each party. Mm -hmm. Because as long as we walk on the planet, no matter what path you've taken, there is some level of impact that you're having on the planet each and every day. Yeah. And I don't like being that kind of person. I know there's a lot of things that I do that are not good for the planet. And I just can just go telling people off because like you are bad people, you... Uh, killing the planet, you're doing this to the planet. No, I mean, we're going to create now, like we, this role, this discussion about our planet is a very universal aspect that everyone is needed on the table. Like you don't have to take sides and feel like you are the righteous person saving the planet while others are killing it because then it will create a much more divide. Mm-hmm. When we have conversations, when we have education, when we have a common understanding, we can have 
we can meet at a point where we all are having a discussion. And this discussion will lead to like, maybe what I'm doing, it must come from that self-desire to do better. But if you, you know, yell at me and tell me like you're a bad person, you're mm-hmm. killing, I'm not, I'm not going to give a damn about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But when you say like, hey guys, I know you do this. I know you do that. I know you're an oil company. I know you're that. I know you're that. But let's come together. Let's reason together for our planet. Like we know what you're doing is, is you know, and let's meet and discuss. Then give facts, give education. People will learn by that. But when we start yelling at one another and pushing one another off and feeling like we are the best version of people while others are the killers of the planet, we are not going to anywhere. And we mm-hmm. might end up making it like how we see religion nowadays. It was a, meant to be a good thing to unite people, have a common understanding mm-hmm. and and, and pre- preach love and unity amongst people. But then people started having ideas of like ours is good and then ours is good and then ours is good. And then we started thinking on these ones and saying theirs is not good and stuff like that. And we see where we are to the point of even fighting and having wars. You mm-hmm. know? So the same way with this conversation about our planet, we need to be honestly have it and know that our planet, which is our own home, is at risk. And it is by educating one another that we can improve and make it better. It's the title of one of my favorite books by a man named Charles Eisenstein. It says, the criticism of the bad is to live the better. And I just think that kind of encapsulates what you're saying is not to make people feel terrible, but to show them there's another way and come be a part of it an invitation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so well what do you have in store um with the rest of your time with james rodney well unfortunately tomorrow is my last day with james but uh, we get up at 5 a.m and head out at six and mm. we're gonna see if we can finally track down the the lions over here mm. we've uh yeah james has seen them a couple times but uh yeah, we we haven't been fortunate enough yet, but he said there's a he said it's a breeding pair, right? The the one that, that we we're trying to look this even the, the one it's a mating pair. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've got a mating pair that's right around our our tent right now, but we haven't located. So we're gonna do that, and then um, yeah, after that we we head back to um, we're driving down to Amboseli to go hang out with the elephants and. Mm. Go find Greg again. Hope to see but, your old uh, friend, huh? Yeah, but yeah, these these two days have just been hmm. absolutely amazing. As you know, you and I talked. You know, it's the, these trips every time I go. Right. What you know, whether it's Africa or you know Guadalupe for sharks or Tonga for whales or whatever. You know, it's just it's totally life changing, mm-hmm. and my my DNA is rewritten every time I go on one of these trips. And so, this, this is so cool to get it firsthand, to get it, <laughs> can get it live while the DNA yeah. is shifting in you. Yeah, right. <laughs> because it, it's so true. You just simply come alive in a different way with every trip. And I'm so glad we're doing yeah, but this. These, yeah, these, these, these two days have, uh, we, we feel like we've been here two weeks already. Mm-hmm. We've seen, done so much. And, you know, it's by, you know, eight o'clock this morning, it was already a full day. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the, this afternoon, we got mm-hmm. to go over, and James took us to the. They've got the anti-poaching dogs, the bloodhounds that they're training for. Mm-hmm. 
boat trip and we got to go on part of their training mission and work oh, with the dogs and hmm. do all that. And that that's the other cool thing that we didn't talk. I mean, like we're just we're going to have to have James on again many times because he's he's just got so many stories. But one of the cool things, another thing that I wasn't aware of was and correct me if I'm wrong, but there hasn't been any poaching at all. Is it this area or is it Kenya since 2017? Is that right? Yeah, in, in Opegeta, I think for the last three and a half years, they've not lost a single rhino to poaching. In Kenya last year, we didn't lose a single rhino to poaching, wow. which is a huge leap towards the right direction. Yeah. 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 Well, that's quite an accomplishment, and a, 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 I'm sure it takes a big team while working together to have that kind of result. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's, you know, the... It's it's the, the what these guys do because it's like James was saying it, this isn't a job for the money, you know it's it's just it's because they they love it and how much you know these animals and this planet means to them that they just they they've dedicated their entire lives to this you know they're they're out twenty four seven you know doing their thing mm. so, and to and to be here and meet these you know people doing this and to witness it firsthand is mm-hmm. it's it's life changing and I wish I wish more people could come here and experience this because it would it would start changing the planet. Well like you said Rodney your your photographs go a long way in helping those of us that can't be there. And the conversations between you and James that we're having that we'll be able to share in multiple ways hopefully will be another way to expand that circle mm. of uh, education and information and make a difference. Yeah. And I'm just so happy. First of all, I'm delighted in technology <laughs> that we could actually do right. this. <laughs> that works. Um, <laughs> and I'm yeah. so happy, Rodney, that you and your crew are over there. And James, just so, um, just so pleased to meet you and to hear about your work. And one of the things that comes through, which I find so encouraging, is your optimism around making change and change happening. And that's <laughs> that's inspirational to me when I think about, oh, there's all of these things happening and it's, it's such a big problem. <clears throat> and yet mm-hmm. to hear what you and, and your colleagues are doing and even you, Rodney, what you're doing, it's very inspirational mm-hmm. that there's, there's always some hope and some um, optimism around this work. So thank you. It's, it's um, well, I had a very difficult growing up. I'm writing a book about it. Maybe you'll read it. <laughs> oh, wonderful. We'll have to have you on when your book comes out. <laughs> uh, you, you will get a chance to meet James because we're bringing him to the States when he releases oh, his book. Oh, big book, book but, launch, uh, yeah. How exciting. Uh, it's yeah. really, um, it's really a sum up of going through so much. Also like living in the bush and, you know, losing rhinos to poaching that you're mm-hmm. protected and rhino you love and but then you realize giving hope does not solve anything either we just have to kind of look ourselves in the eyes and Do tell ourselves <laughs> we are the ones we are waiting make better mm-hmm. the planet or what vision is so i think that is kind of living for the hope and hoping you know by the time of our lives we we have done the best we've been the best versions of ourselves and mm-hmm. you know of every day. Well, Rodney, thank you for making this happen. 
um, for bringing James yeah, to, I, to me and to our listeners. And, you know, it's going to be wonderful to see all the ripples and the waves that result from, um, from this podcast and the ones to come. I agree with you. There's all kinds of um, episodes we can line up for James. And, and mm -hmm. this is only your first couple of days. So, Rodney... <laughs> Boy, you're, uh, you know, I this is going to be something. <laughs> I'll look forward to hearing when we can connect next and uh, the rest of your adventures and certainly look forward to your photographs and when you get home again. But I'm so thrilled after James, he was so agitated for a year and a half not being able to use that passport and be there, be with people like you and with the animals. So, it really is wonderful to hear the excitement and and um, mm. and the change, the everyday change that goes on with you and whoever's with you on these trips. So I want to thank yeah. you one last time, James and Rodney. And we would also like to thank our senior executive producer, Mr. Brock Glenn Thomas, who helps bring the technology uh, to us and actually helps us make it work. <laughs> uh, we'd like to thank Rupert Neve Design, who has been generous and um, with their equipment and helping us get started and continuing this podcast. We want to thank Donovan Frankenreiter, who um, has been generous with our intro and our outro music. We also want to thank KWVH 93.4 Wimberley Valley Radio, who rebroadcasts our shows on Wednesdays from 3 to 4 Central Time, Texas Time, and to you, our listeners. So until next time, we hope you'll join us, and particularly these next couple of weeks when we're going to be hearing live from Rodney and his crew and more wonderful adventures. So until then, 